who would you hire? Would you hire somebody with a certification or, or knowledge? If you have two people, one well certified and one well knowledgeable without certification. So who would you go for and what would be your thought process? I mean, it doesn't have to be either or, but what's your thought process in hiring somebody? I would prefer that individual with the knowledge base over the certification. I think if somebody can demonstrate a uh, working expert knowledge of the field, um, that's probably more important than a piece of paper. Um, but one thing I would like to emphasize is how difficult a hiring process can be in today's right. day and age because you have thousands of people applying for work. Uh, and it's largely done electronically and through automatic processing, which is, of course, one of the issues in privacy that we address. But the automatic processing uh, implications of the job search are just awful. Uh, it's probably the least, um, the least effective method of choosing a, a, an adequate and excellent employee um, by, look, by having a computer screen resumes looking for certifications. And sadly, that's a lot of the way uh, that it defaults to these days. It's pretty rare that you can identify somebody without the appropriate initials and letters on their resume because those people don't get passed through the automatic processing. No. And so my advice to people, whether you're on the hiring side or whether you're uh, an applicant looking for a role, probably the best thing that either one of these two people can do to come together is to make every attempt possible at personal interactive networking. That's shaking of hands, smiling, uh, interpersonal interactions, whether it's online or off, um, because that's really the, tr the true way that you can gauge someone's personality, their personal skills. Uh, that, that's the true way that you can gauge their ability to communicate effectively on a particular subject, the face-to-face -face interaction. You're not going to get that from a resume. You're not going to get that from a LinkedIn profile. You're not going to get that from an IAPP certification. So truly, I think that the most effective way to bring employer and employee together is, again, through personal networking. And I just wish there were more effective ways of doing that in today's society. Sure. And continuing with our theme on certifications, I know you also launched your podcast recently and you talked about it in your first episode. But give us a slight preview into how was your experience when you did the, these exams? And was it a test of knowledge or was it a test of nerves? Was it what 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 kind of pressure was there? And how much of and what what can somebody learn from it in terms of somebody who's appearing in an exam or a certification exam in coming days, weeks? I'm so glad you asked about that because it's something I have a lot of experience with having recently passed each and every one of these uh, certifications. And I think that each of the points you raise is relevant to the experience. Um, it is, uh, but one thing before I forget is I've heard in my travels uh, virtually across the globe as I talk about the uh, certification process, many people tell me it's a test of your English language skills which I find to be completely uh, inappropriate and odd. It's, it's sad that these exams are not offered in French, that they're not offered in Dutch or German. Uh, I think that uh, an interesting project would be to uh, translate the exam experience into more native languages so that people aren't struggling just with their command of English. Because a subtle nuance, a subtle nuance in a question or in an answer can mean the difference between a passing and failing scores. So sometimes it is a test of your English language knowledge. 
Um, but it is also a, a very excellent test of your general knowledge of the subject matter. And most of the certifications are very clear, they're crystal clear in terms of the subject matter that's going to be tested on the exam. Uh, right. They oftentimes will have a body of knowledge, they'll have an exam blueprint, and they will tell you how many questions are going to be on a particular subject matter. And that's critical to anybody's success as they prepare for these exams because you have the exam blueprint right in front of you. You know what's going to be on that test. And if you immerse yourself in that material for a sufficient period of time, if you prepare properly, you can walk in there with a great deal of confidence. And that's the second um, critical uh, piece that's necessary to pass any of these certifications is confidence because this is a confidence game. And I mean that in a very positive sense of the word. It's a confidence game in that you need to show up with a degree of confidence that you know this material and you're not going to let that computer exam tell you otherwise. And it, it's a game of nerves. I can remember distinctly my first uh, test experience was in person. I went to one of these uh, testing centers where they are testing a variety of people on everything from financial regulations to insurance to privacy to cosmetology. And you're in a room with 50 people. Uh, you're each sitting at your own little cubicle and you can hear everybody typing away on their keyboards. And it's the most nerve wracking experience. Uh, and you know that you're under a lot of pressure to pass this test. And that's the worst experience ever. And the first one, I was like a deer in headlights staring at that computer and the questions did not seem to match the material that I learned. How could this possibly be? And so I think it was more the fear factor than anything else. And so I was able to calm down, uh, put that fear aside and focus on one question at a time and use some of my internal intuition because I knew this material and I was not gonna let the computer tell me otherwise. I studied long, I studied hard and the first few questions I just guessed at. Well, I guess I guessed properly because my confidence level began to build. Mm -hmm. I gained more confidence with each click of the button. And I still had a lot of rough spots because that's a long exam. It takes like two and a half hours to plow through this. And at about the halfway mark, uh, you're really spent. I mean, if you're like me, yeah. you're, you're exhausted and you just want to end it. Like, oh, I must have failed this. I just got to push the button and go home. Well, I found the mental um, energy to carry myself through this two and a half hours. I think I even had 10 minutes to spare where I went back and you know reviewed a few questions, but I just didn't have the energy for much uh, retroactive review. So let me tell you about the best part of the whole exam experience. You're done, you've done your best, you push that button on the computer and you wait like an endless, an endless three seconds until the words pass show up on the yeah. computer screen. And then it's like, oh, this this overwhelming feeling of joy and relief. <laughs> so it, it's an interesting experience, but it does draw upon every ounce of energy you've got in terms of confidence, in terms of knowledge, and just your mental stamina. So I think it's really important to do it at a time when you're you know fresh and at your best, whether you're a morning person or a midnight person. So absolutely, that was my. That was my first experience at the exam. And then the remainder of them I was able to take at home using um, the online monitoring. And that's another positive impact of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It allowed organizations to um, get creative in how to offer the same testing opportunities. And one of the, my favorite things to say about the privacy exams is that in order to pass a privacy exam virtually, you need to give up a little bit of your privacy. 
the uh, the, com the computer uh, proctor. There, there are proctors that take control of your computer. They take control of your webcam. They take control of your microphone, and they watch you, and they listen to you. And a funny story for me, I had a tendency to take the exam and put my hands on my on my chin because I was tired. And so I would put my hands over my face and my elbows on the desk as I'm thinking about a question. And I would get this big pop-up message from the proctor. Dear Mr. Basor, please remove your hands from your face. We want to make sure you're not talking to somebody. <laughs> so that was the kind of control that they had. And I found that to be quite invasive um, because obviously I wasn't doing anything. I was all alone yeah. in my surroundings and it was quiet. But um, just the philosophical point that you must give away a little bit of your privacy in order to pass a privacy exam was quite poignant for me. Yeah. And I think there's also this test of nerves, as you say, or the pressure, because when you're doing it, you know these are the five steps, especially in the CIPM exam. You know these are the five steps or six steps in the, or six stages, and you remember them. But when you go to the exam, you have those five stages five times or four times in a question, and one word is changing. And then you're like, oh, what was this? What was this R? Was it respond? Was it response? And it's just that little thing. And so it tests you on that. Because when I did it, uh, I did it about three and a half years ago. But at that time, the CIPP, I went in and I was confident I'll go through. But the CIPM, because of these questions, which have slight nuances and they test your nerves, test your, uh, and also confuse you a bit with so much of information overload. Because it's very similar answers. You need to eliminate, then you need, you're left with two and you need to pick and choose each and every word you need to match. And if you're one of those, sometimes you tend to be overconfident saying, I know these are the three keywords, but in between the wrong keyword is inserted and they are energy sapping. And so at the end of CIPM, I was exactly like you. I don't know what will happen. So let me press the button. I had about 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes extra, but I said, let me go because I can't take that no racking experience. And what I would do is if I review, I might change my initial response to those questions. Absolutely. And you passed, um, able to set aside the pressure um, that you were experiencing during that testing experience. And you were also, you passed because you were well prepared for that exam. And I think that's critical is the advanced preparation. You're not going to pass these tests if you um, take them a week after you decide to take it. You, you've got to allow time to review the material, to study the material, to embrace the material, and to think about it over and over again. Um, not only by reading the suggested textbook, but also by finding alternative resources to help you along this path, whether it's guided study or whether it's listening to seminars or reading books, uh, white papers. There's all sorts of resources that are available um, both on the Internet and off. And I think it's critical for people to uh, have sufficient preparation to say, you know what, I'm an expert on this. Not only am I going to pass, but I'm going to succeed beyond my wildest dreams. And if you can have that confidence when you go into the testing experience, I think that's really gonna help you. Yeah, and I think if, if I may add, you also need to know which certification you are doing and choose those kind of things. So if, because I was talking to one of my clients and the person wanted to do CIPP, but when I spoke to the person, she was telling me that I'm doing, learning about pseudonymization. And I said, why? She said, the topic fascinates me. And I said, but you want to clear your CIPP you need to know what pseudonymization is, but what are the types, how it works, 
what is the technology behind that's for the cipt so don't mix the two get your exam done and then work on your excitement fascination and all those interests because if so maybe you can share your experience around the, these three exams the professional the manager and the technologist they have a purpose and they have a meaning objective behind them because yes it's all about privacy yes it's about the same law generally gdpr and around it but the question that gets asked in each one of them is from a different standpoint and a different perspective would you like uh, be able to guide people on that perspective absolutely because as a as a techie as an advocate of technology somebody who loves gadgets and the latest greatest uh, inventions my natural inclination i probably should have taken the cipt exam first but i did not i took the cipp us um because i felt that was more valuable to my own career but i i had that cipt in the back of my mind and i found that those were very interesting things to study and for me the study of privacy has been an endless series of rabbit holes and it's really critical that you um explore some of those rabbit holes it's important to go down those routes even if they're not on the test because it generates interest it generates passion and you can probably find a connection between a particular technology and a particular conceptual framework that's necessary for the CIPM or the CIPP so there are connections that can be made and if you are exercising your intellectual capacity to bridge the gap between the two that can be every bit as valuable but you do need to recognize that there are endless rabbit holes and if you find yourself studying concepts of quantum computing encryption and blockchain while you're studying for the CIPP exam that's not necessarily the best use of your time unless that's what wakes you up and reenergizes you for another 3 hours of studying of regulations so there's a, there's a part for everybody if you like this find the full episode of fit for privacy podcast on itunes or spotify 